Welcome back to the Lou Perez Podcast. My name is Lou Perez. If you want to support the show, please head over to theloupereze.locals.com and join the Lou Perez community on locals.com. And be sure to follow me on all social media at theloupereze. Here we go. I'm joined by my friend Dean Cameron, actor, writer, producer, and uh, all-around really nice guy. I, I had to get that in. That's in your writer. <laughs> um, so, uh, so Dean, I, I think um, uh, maybe we can we can talk about uh, basically how we we both know each other. And uh, I know you because I grew up watching so many of your movies uh, in the '80s, in particular. And uh, I happened to watch uh, a uh, an oldie but a goodie with my wife the other the other week, um, summer school. And that was a, uh, a really fun bonding experience with, between me and my wife because she sees what kind of what kind of comedy uh, basically produced her husband. <laughs> and I got to see my uh, my, my buddy in uh, uh, in uh, in his glory. So that was that was, a lot, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was uh, in my first movie and uh, spoiled me for the, everything else for the, the next 30 years. So uh, but. A nice legacy. That was least. your first movie that you got? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Total, totally spoiled. Great director, great script, big studio, uh, great part. Yeah. So. And, and uh, it was directed by Carl Reiner. So he, Carl he, Reiner, yeah. He just, he just passed away. He did. He did. Yeah. As far as we know. Right. He's he playing the, the, long, the long con. On yeah, that. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I know you because I, I found your the algorithm pointed me at you on uh, YouTube for all my right-wing nut propaganda. And some, you were in there and I wrote you a fan letter, a fan email. And uh, I got, I got, when I, when I got that, that email for the first thing I was saying is like, Oh my God, here's another person who's alt-right adjacent. Um, And, (laughs) uh, but, but I, I, I read it and I, I, I said an audible, Holy shit. Um, and I, I said it to my wife, uh, to my wife and I was like, Oh my God, Dean Cameron just emailed me. Do you know what this, you know, do you know what this is? I was, I was super stoked about it and I was really, um, yeah, I I was really uh, blown away. So this is kind of like a, um, I don't know. Do you do, do you do, uh, like comic cons and stuff like that? Can I get a, Um, I've done some, I I call them has been autograph conventions. (laughs) Uh, uh, so I've, I've done a few of them. As Spinal Tap said, my uh, audience is very selective, so it's it's not profitable after a while because everybody who wants my autograph gets it, and then they're gone. So uh, I, I'll probably won't do another one for a couple years. Yeah, <laughs> but they're fun. They're great. I, I love meeting people and and talking about movies and stuff like that. It's cool, and I get to see people I'm fans of. Yeah, at these things, so it's nice. And you know, I, you're. I'm I'm still blown away that that was your first uh, your first movie because I feel like you like the character of, of Chainsaw um, is such a like I can't imagine like I'm trying to imagine all the guys who went in and read for that part and you just I, I mean you you were perfect for it you know and it's sort of like um, you know did you go in sort of like with a create like that character already created or is it something you you found well, with Carl Reiner. Well, it was so well written. The part was so well written. And I also, I, I, when I read this, occasionally you'll read a script and you go, oh, this is, this is my job. Barring some divine intervention, this is mine. And that was one of those scripts. And uh, just thought, I'm going to, this is mine. And, yeah. and it, it ultimately was. So uh, the, I, one of the great audition stories or, or director stories. So at when I'm, I, I read with Carl Reiner twice or three times. And the second time, oh no, the last time I was reading with Dave's with the, with the other guys. And he uh, gave me this really bad direction. I don't remember what it was, but it was some line reading or something. And I thought that's, that's really bad. And I looked at him and I thought, well, it's Carl Reiner. He's a comedy genius and a legend. So I'll try it. So I did it. And he goes, uh, yeah, that, 
uh, that was never mind that. Don't do that. Do what do what you're doing. And and so got the gig. And so about two weeks into the shoot, he we're waiting for whatever. And he says, uh, remember uh, your audition? And I gave you that really, really horrible direction. You know, yeah, I do remember that. And he goes, I was just seeing if you'd listen to me because I could tell you're a son of a bitch. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, so it was good. So it was a good lesson. So if a director gives you bad direction in an audition, give it a shot because they might be testing you. Yeah, just okay. go with it. He wants a, he wants a soldier. Cole yeah, Reiner wants a comedy soldier uh, right there. I, I was, th- I was thinking, you know, um, the, the character, you know, the name chainsaw, you fully embrace it. Like this is just, this is your, your character. And, uh, I, I was in a, in a, a comedy duo called Greg and Lou and the biggest hit that we you were, ever- Lou, you were Lou. I yeah. Think. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to play off type and play Greg, but it just, you know, never got around to it. He uh, was so good as Greg. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so so our our biggest video that we ever had was was Wolverine's Claws Suck, and it has like I think like over altogether like over twenty million views or something like that. It's just insane. It's been around for like eleven years, and uh, you know I often think like, hey, you know what? If if I go my whole life and I'm just known as the dude in that video, like I am very happy with that. You know, there's so many. That's I, nice. Yeah, it, it's to, to actually have like a legacy, especially of a character that you really love. And to be remembered for it, I think that's, I don't know, I think that's awesome. Yeah, well, there's a, uh, it's taken me a while to embrace that. And because uh, when you're in it and you did something and I knew it was, you know, a, a big milestone, but I wanted to keep sort of moving up. And so for a while, um, you think, okay, I, I don't want to just be known for that. And you try to do other stuff that may be more visible or, I don't know, whatever. But so in the last five or 10 years, I've really gone, okay, yeah, I did that and, and I'm proud of it and people love it and they still love it. And there were a lot of movies made back then that people don't watch anymore. And this is one that still gives people pleasure. So good for them. They have great taste. Yeah. So it's, it was uh, sort of reconciling with that is, is it's a journey. Yeah. And, and also, I mean, you know, there's that added element to it of, you know, I mean, that was, you know, how many years ago, like, you know, you were a young guy. So every time that character comes up, there's sort of like, look where, look where I am now, look where, you know, where I was then. Um, yeah, I, it, I, yeah. A few years ago, uh, I forgot the name of the company. They do, it's a sort of a hipster movie place in Texas and they have some other oh, places. Alamo Draft House. Alamo Draft House, right. They did a, in San Francisco, they did a Dean Cameron retrospective and they played summer school, ski school and Rockula. And I went up and watched it on, on a big screen and the place was packed. It was amazing. And uh, watching those movies, what's interesting is I don't, when I watch the movie, I, I think about what was going on that day in, when we were shooting the scene. They're like uh, photo albums of my past. You're going, oh, that's the day we had the mariachi band for lunch, or that's the day that this person, we played Simon Says, and that's the day that, that he was late. And it's a really interesting thing to those. The memory is less about the movie and more about my youth or, or what was going on at that time. It's, it's a weird thing. Yeah, no, that, that, that's super interesting. And, and also, I mean, how great is it to, you know, to see firsthand, like, wow, I really had a big impact in the, in the lives of people. I feel like, um, did, did you grow up in Hollywood? Was that? No, I, I grew up in Oklahoma. Uh, my dad, my dad had tried to be an actor. He lived in Santa Barbara. So I'd visit him every summer and every Christmas. And, I started doing it. They, they had this great summer theater program and I started doing plays with uh, like musicals, but it, with Eric Stoltz and Anthony Edwards and a couple other people who are still working or Kathleen Will Hoyt. So we were all doing plays when we were like 13, 14 years old and Eric and Tony and this other guy, Mike Sherritt, they were coming down to LA and doing commercials and guest star on TV. And I thought, well, they can do that. I can do that. So that's, how I sort of made my way from once I got out of high school, I immediately 
<laughs> drove to LA and, mm-hmm. and moved here yeah, when I was 17. I would imagine, you know, like if someone like grew like growing up in Hollywood and we have different ideas of what success are, you know, and right. for, for me, it would be a success to, you know, get a, a five line or under in a movie. Like I'd be like, this would be fantastic. I'd be making the leap from, um, you know, doing online videos to be in like a real picture, you know, or something right. like that. Um, so I guess that that's something that I guess you, the ego needs to sort of contest with and, and, and get over yeah. I mean, it, now it's, it's sort of opposite now, right. you know, Richard Horvitz, who was in summer school also, and I have this YouTube thing we do and we have virtually no one watching it, but we've been doing it. We've done 150 something episodes. And so we're trying to get like YouTube famous and movies and TV are like, eh, we've done that. So who cares? And, and, you know, he does all this animation stuff. So I, I, it, it's weird how things have flipped and there used to be like a real import and satisfaction in, in getting a job in a movie. And now it's, I mean, in my age, you know, chasing the carrot to try to be a movie star, number one on the call sheet is gone. Now I just like working and it, it's fun and it pays into my pension and all that stuff. But um, it, those jobs aren't as fulfilling or interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, the ones I'm getting, so it's just something to do. Um, as far as acting goes, but yeah. this other thing, you know, these other things are, I think people can make real careers and, and do great things like, like you, you've been doing. So. Thank you. Yeah. I've been, uh, I've been a member of SAG for like five years or something like that. And I don't know. Sorry. Yeah. I can't count. Like I, I definitely haven't booked anything mm-hmm. in like four years or like four or five years, as long as I've been working with, uh, with we, the, like the, while when I was working with we, the internet, I wasn't, booking anything, but yet I was still paying into this, uh, into this union. And I'm wondering, uh, am I going to get anything out of this <laughs> at some point down the line? Yeah, that's, yeah. Well, that's the eternal question about SAG. So I, yeah, well, I'm well not, they're not my favorite, but it's a necessary, I don't know if it's an evil, but it's a necessary thing. Right. Um, I was just, I was just thinking about the other day, uh, uh growing up in the, in the eighties and nineties, just how much of my brain, how much of my memory is taken up by like really bad movies. Um, so there, there's one, I know you were in ski school, but there was a movie that I remember way too much of called Ski Patrol, which, oh. I, which I, I can, I, if I, if I could probably go down and tell you every single thing that happens in that movie and give you lines and all that, but there's all this important information that I just, that will never, be in my mind because that's taking up a space there. Yeah. Well, first, coincidentally, uh, ski school or ski patrol is one of the first movies I refused to audition for. So, or, or go and meet on. So, and then ironically, the ski school universe, there is a, I think a New Yorker cartoon about this, these two women talking and they, and or, or like you get like information, like in, in the cartoon, it was Brad and Jen broke up. And so in the brain, there goes all of Dickens. There's no more room for that. (laughs) Pretty great. I remember uh, you did an episode of um, It's Always Sunny. Um, That was that was an homage to you and also of of that era. Um, Yeah. yeah, Can you maybe talk? I think for for people who don't, I I just saw a um, I went to a cafe the other day and on the wall was if you were you, if you were born in 1999, you were allowed to drink now. And I was like, Oh my God, people were, people were being born in 1999. That's, that's insane. So it's a completely different world. At least it seems like a a different cinematic universe uh, overall. Like if, if you were to um, describe, you know, sort of the eighties comedies, especially like teen movies and stuff. I mean, what, how, how would you, uh, do that. I would say they were written. It was a genre that was created by frustrated uh, dudes who knew nothing about women, and uh, they were writing, and it, and it was this self-perpetuating thing that happened. So they would write these female characters that were fantasies or, or um, uh, amalgamations of what they think a woman should be. And then the actresses in 
in this universe then started behaving that way. And it was this horrible Ouroboro that sort of that created this, this genre of movie uh, and that I was never really thrilled with, but you know, when in Rome, uh, that's what you do. Um, that's, so that's what I think about the eighties. Uh, um, and I have a lot of opinions about how the big agencies sort of screwed up movies. And, and you can see that now with superhero movies and like bullshit like that. Yeah. So I, w- I wonder I, if, I, if, I, I wonder if like that, if that eighties genre, like sort of culminated with weird science where the guys literally make a woman. So right. It's right. Sort of, or, or the, the rape in, um, in, uh, in, uh, Oh, Revenge of the Nerds. Revenge of the Nerds. Yeah. yeah. Like, like that. I, I remember even watching that, reading the script going, this is, uh, this seems weird and wrong and it, I, I, seeing the movie I, I, and thinking this is weird and, weird and wrong. wrong. I, yeah. I imagine like being in the head I, and I don't, I don't know who, who wrote it, but he's like, no man, it's oral sex. He's going right. down on her, man. Like right. that, that's so rare anyway. So this is a way to get around, you know, this is their loophole. And they, uh, and they did a beautiful job of spoofing that in uh, always sunny when uh, I, I, can I, what, what can I, what words can I say? Oh, oh yeah, what, no, anything. Yeah, so yeah. when I go, I'm, I'm going to jam my dick through that hole and uh, say special delivery. And they're like, you can't do that. That's awful. And uh, so, cause yeah, it was an homage to Porky's right. and just horrible, yeah. but that's what was going on. And again, I think frustrated nerds who women, they, who didn't, get laid in high school suddenly we're in power and uh, writing movies. Yeah. And then, and I think in the night, in the nineties, it became, uh, the, the movie became, uh, a young man who shocker hasn't been laid yet. What you right. haven't, you haven't lost your virginity. We have to help you lose your virginity. <laughs> right. You know, like, and uh, I, I'm just how many movies with that, uh, with that premise. And I was just always thinking that, I've had guy friends my whole life and at no point were my guy friends like, we're going to help you get laid. (laughs) Exactly. If anything, like they, they're the biggest cock blocks, you know, it's like, I'm dude, I've been talking to this girl and you really ruin it because you're either, (laughs) you're either shit faced and just, and I'm going to have to take you home or you're like, Oh, you know, maybe she digs me more than, uh, than you. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And and then it got very talky and Mm -hmm. and self-indulgent. And yeah. I actually co-wrote a movie that got made that was very talky and self-indulgent. And, uh, and then I think there was a really good period. I mean, the nineties, there were some really interesting things going on and, and also the two thousands and, and probably now, I don't know. I don't care anymore. <laughs> the other, the other thing that, that was happening was, uh, politics started getting, as an actor, you had to have a sort of political point of view, and that became part of the part of this uh, requirement of being in the public eye. Of, of I can, I have this power, and so now I'm going to tell you what I how to vote and how to think and what to do. And I I was, fell into that for a while and started this uh, this group called Young Artists United. And um, the intentions were honorable, which was that we were, as young actors, we would present ideas and present all the sides to people and let them decide. But it it ended up becoming this other thing where we're presenting one side and this is how it should go. And I read this book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. And the thesis of that was famous people are ruining America by talking about politics because they're inherently stupid and don't know what they're talking about. And I took a hard look at myself. I was like, yeah, I'm not very smart and I have no business talking about this. So I'm going to back out. And I left the group. And then the more I sort of deep dove into my beliefs, things started to change. And, and uh, now I just don't talk to people. <laughs> I wonder, was it, uh, was it always so cringy with, with actors um, speaking out? Because, because now, uh, I mean, in particular, the, there was the, um, that video that went out where I take responsibility. And it was a bunch of 
Hollywood actors taking responsibility for the the police shootings of black yeah. men, and it was just like, like we know you literally don't mean you're taking responsibility because you'd be, right. I guess, turning yourself into to the police. But uh, <laughs> I was actually, I actually shot that guy. Yeah, yeah. I, it was it was my knee <laughs> on this man on this poor man's neck and right. and all that. Yeah, so, yeah. I remember uh, that one, and then of course you always have the ones that are just vote, get out there and vote, vote, vote. And, and it's like, well, well, you know who we know who you want everyone to vote for, right. you know? And, yeah. And the singing, this, the singing thing, oh, uh, the John Lennon, imagine yeah, yeah. that was, all. yeah, I was on a, in 80. Oh, oh, when I was shooting summer school, actually, there was a, 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 a proposition, California prop 61, I think it was, which was the clean water act, which was, we should have clean water. Sounds great. Yeah, that it's a difficult position to get behind. How about water? So they, Can you guys have water first? Like in California, <laughs> exactly. get some of that. So they uh, and Jane Fonda was behind it, and and like big heavy hitters, and they invited me to go on this bus trip, and they were sort of recreating the old train things of the forties, the 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 bond movements in in the World War II to get the public aware of this. So we took a bus from LA up to San Francisco and we made these stops and people would speak and I, they'd given, given us stacks and stacks of literature about the problems with the water in California and this and that. And, and I read all of it, read all of it and we really knew what was going on and we'd stop in these places and it was just basically Beatles concert to see your favorites. I mean, it was Michael Fox and Rob Lowe and, uh, Jane Fonda and Peter Fonda and people from Hill Street Blues. Like it was a big deal. And me who had done a couple TV series and no one knew who I was. So these people were speaking and just saying stuff like, for like basically water's good, dirty water's bad. Thank you very much. Good night. And no nuance, nothing interesting, nothing about the literature. And that was one of the things that really got me thinking, we, we, we shouldn't be doing this. We really shouldn't be doing this. And so the result of that is now you go to a restaurant or anywhere, it's, there's a sticker that says, there are chemicals here that may contain pollutants or carcinogens. That's it. That's all it is. Like some business has to buy this sticker and put it in their, their stupid window. Like that's, that was, that's what we did. Yeah. Rocking. A lot of people uh, have asked me like, Hey Lou, if, you know, if you could, you know, do X, Y, or Z, you know, what, you know, what would you do to you know, you know, change the world or something or something like that? And for one, I, I just, I just can't imagine having the power to do something that, that big. But also, I can't imagine like sort of being that that kind of mega star that like someone that you describe like Jane Fonda, and not getting drunk on my own celebrity and thinking that you know what maybe I maybe I do just go out there and say clean water is good and and there it is like it's sort of a magic uh, a magic spell right. Yeah, it's a it's a weird thing. It's not weird. It, it seems obvious actually. When you're you know number one through five on the call sheet, everyone laughs at your jokes. Everyone agrees with what you say. Everyone thinks you're awesome. And and if you're doing that a lot, I think you just expect it. You know, one of the things you know, the, my career took a huge nosedive uh, in the '90s, and I had a really hard time talking to girls. Because my game was just showing up and being the guy who was in those movies and TV shows. And, and uh, that was my, you know, way in to talk to people, talk to girls and meet them. So they knew who I was. So when they didn't, it was a weird thing. So that you just become, uh, when you're famous or nearly famous or sort of in the, in, a little bit in the public eye, you just assume the world is a certain way. People are a little bit nicer to you at restaurants. Uh, people are nicer to you at the grocery stores. It's just a weird world. And, and it's a harsh uh, 
wake up call when that stuff goes away. Like, oh, people are really mean to each other, mm. and uh, this is a harsh place. It's it's a it was it's weird. It's a weird I, thing. So having all that going, yeah, well, I know what I'm talking about because everyone says on the every, where I work, all these people think I'm great and smart and funny and wise. Mm-hmm. I remember I saw um, John Hamm in a bar in LA once, and uh, I was totally ready to be really nice to him. Um, mm-hmm. He's a, he's a very attractive man. So he has that going Beautiful. for him too. Beautiful yeah. man. Yeah. I think um, what's her name? Uh, uh, someone described him as astronaut handsome. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's, uh, I, forget, I forget who it was who, uh, um, <laughs> totally. so, well, um, you know, you, you described, you know, de- your decline in, in the, in the business. Was it, mm-hmm. um, what, what, what do you think it was? Do you think sort of, cause it seems like your mindset is already changing at this point, as far as the way you're looking at movies and celebrity and, and politics and, and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I became dis- sort of disenfranchised with what, uh, what was going on. Also, David Lee Roth said a great thing. Uh, mosey, said, mosey, Bob. The- mosey, mosey, <laughs> Exactly. He said, I don't get all the girls I want. I get all the girls who want me. And that's how it is in, in showbiz. Like you don't, you don't get all the jobs you want. It's, they, they pick you. And no matter what you think, no matter what level, you're at, you're there with your hat in your hand. And that realization is difficult. I also was losing my hair. Uh, and that was, I, I know there were big jobs that went away because of that. And, um, and, and just, the, I, I, you know, if I knew, if I completely knew what happened, it wouldn't have happened. So I don't mm. know. Things change. Um, I, I went to school with a really great uh, young actor. And he was spectacular actor, but he was going bald really early. Like he was, you know, uh, 19, 20 years old, like, you know, losing it. And uh, I hadn't seen him for a little while and um, maybe like a, a year or something like that. And then I saw him and he had a hairpiece and he was like a, you know, 22, 23 year old kid with a hairpiece. And right. uh, it, it was, it was, it was tough to, to look at. You know, for a number of things, it was it was the reality of like a hairpiece. I mean, you know, how good can they actually look? Um, but right. then but then also like, man, this this really talented guy is getting looked over um, because of this reality that, you know, right. he's 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 bald and it really sucked. Yeah. And that make I mean, that makes sense. I, I, I you know, there wasn't Sean Connery, I guess, had, was sort of a famous bald actor at the time. And. Bruce Willis was still trying to save it. To, <laughs> his hair and, and Woody Harrelson. So those guys really hadn't Ed Harris, I guess was mm-hmm. one, but he's, he's really good. I'm not yeah. as good as Ed Harris. So uh, and he's astronaut handsome. Uh, so I don't know. It's a, it's a weird thing. And, and, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a visual medium first. So you want to see pretty people and dudes with nice hair, like John yeah. Hamm. My, my son, a couple of months ago, he's seven months now. I think when he was around four or five months, uh, well, I was calling him Ed Harris because he had that, he had that Ed Harris scalp, uh, going intense, intense scalp, man. They, they do that. Yeah. My, my son had that too. So, uh, you took a break from, from Hollywood and, and yeah. how did you pivot? What, uh, what'd you do during that time? I worked, uh, in the mid to late nineties, someone said, you should learn HTML. Whatever that okay. is. Yeah, whatever that is. So I got a book, Teach Yourself HTML in 24 Hours. It was not straight, which I thought, I thought, <laughs> you know, one 24-hour period. Um, so I learned HTML. A friend of mine who I'd met through Penn Jillette, uh, was starting this web. It was the first social media, uh, web social media thing called Tight Circle. And he said, I need someone to do front end for me. And like, I don't know what front end. He goes, that's HTML. It's like, oh, I, I can sort of write some HTML. So we developed this site called Tight Circle, uh, which was this threaded, unthreaded conversation in email. We ended up selling to an unnamed company in Mountain View, California. But because of that, I learned what programming was and because he was doing all the back end. And so I ended up getting a job uh, 
this is back in the wild west days of the internet at a game company called iWin, making a lot of money, not knowing what I was doing. And from there, so for the next 10 years off and on, I was, I worked as a front end programmer. Um, also found this nice voiceover career in the 2000s that was nice. So, cause I had gotten incredibly in debt in the nineties in the, from like 95 to 2000. And so through the, through the 2000s, I was able to get myself out of debt. I found my, my, I met my wife. I mean, she wasn't my wife when I met her, but I met, you know. You know that was the, yeah, yeah. In, um, in a, an arranged then, marriage in, yes, uh, in yes. California. Yes. My, my parents in, in New Delhi set us <laughs> up. And uh, uh, yeah, so I took it. And, and it was nice in a way because I realized I could support myself and, and function without this showbiz thing completely. I still worked a little bit. People would offer me stuff or occasionally I'd get an audition for something, but I didn't have an agent or anything. And then um, the, the, the internet business changed and became super corporate and no fun and just like anything else. And I thought, well, if I'm going to deal with jerks all the time, what I should just go start, go back into showbiz because that's sort of interesting and fun for me. And front-end programming had changed and there's a lot of JavaScript and I'm not, I'm not good at that. And I was working with these 20-year-old guys who'd grown up programming. And I, Anyway, so, and along that, during that timeline, I, I played music and I have a, a karaoke band and we had played at an agent's birthday party and he ended up signing me. And I, while I was still working at uh, Ticketmaster, I started getting gigs, a lot of them. And realized that the people who had grown up watching me were now running showbiz. So when I turned 50, it's a long story. But anyway, so I'm back no, full, full time doing, doing the showbiz thing. And it's, uh, it's okay. You know? Yeah, you know, I have to say when it comes to your voice, your voice hasn't changed, at least in my ear. Like you still sound like the young guy, which, right. is, which is strange because a lot of people that that's just not the case. It just doesn't, they don't keep it up. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's funny. I, I get recognized now a lot from my voice. People know me like, why do I know you? Cause they recognize the voice, then sort of the eyebrows. And then you know, did these movies like, Oh yeah, it's cool. Nice. Um, correct. Were you there at Ticketmaster during the whole uh, beef they were having with Pearl Jam? No, that was, I was there after, afterwards. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I was thinking about, you know, your ability to, you know, pivot to a, you know, a completely different career. And, you know, one of the real fears that I have is, um, I'm, is that I've basically gone all in on this comedy thing in particular, right. a com you know, comedy tinged with a lot of, you know, uh, quote unquote, controversial opinions, right. you know, the point, a, a distinct point of view. Yeah. A di thank you. Thank you. A distinct yeah. point of view where it's, it's sort of like, man, have I, have I fucked myself? Right. You know, like if, if it, you know, it comes to a point where nobody is interested in, um, I don't know, me creating stuff for them. It's like, man, it's going to be, can I, can I turn and I don't know, like learn welding or you know, become a plumber or something <laughs> like that. And, Two years. Is there an HTML book that I should be reading right now? You know, welding is good. Welding is a good trade. It's yeah. always necessary. I, I I disagree. I think that you. I think you know whatever just happened with whatever you're gonna do great because you're super talented and and really funny and really have interesting, fascinating takes on things that it, that people don't think of. So it's just I appreciate that. Thank you. Well. That's the, that I haven't been recording this. I just wanted you to say that, <laughs> Dean. Just, this this whole thing was just to get. It was just a fish. It was just fishing I just need for compliments. It. I just need compliments right now. That's all yeah. I need. Well, it's it's um I I, I made a video um a, a couple of years ago where um it was a the joke was that there was an app called a a hate fuck app. So it's like the first dating app where. 
you know, instead of trying to find love, it's like, no, find people who hate each other politically and just have them get together and, you know, and, nice. and, and do their thing. And when I was, when I was looking to cast it, um, I, I told, you know, Greg at the time who directed it, I said, Hey, what about, you know, so-and-so? And he said, Oh, really? Do you want to work with so-and-so? Didn't you guys just have a fight on Twitter? And I, I, I had to like pause and I was like, Oh my God, you know, it, it made me really gross. The idea that I wouldn't work with this guy because we had a quote unquote fight on Twitter about the definition of socialism. And wow. yeah, and it, and it wasn't something, it wasn't like Greg was saying, don't work with him. It was just, these are the times that we live in where, you know, one argument on Twitter can sort of derail an entire relationship or, you know, erase an entire, you know, uh, history that you have with somebody. And, uh, and I, I basically made it clear that, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to work in that world. And I don't want to live in that world where I just cut people off because of, you know, bullshit like that. And this is, this is a, an example, this guy in particular, I'd known him for maybe 10 years and had nothing but good stuff to say about him. Every interaction has been wonderful. It was just a stupid little argument about right. the definition of a word. Um, and I, you know, part of me, I, I fear that, um, uh, that, I, that the same, you know, sort of, um, uh, the same thing won't, you know, won't, uh, be offered me in the future in a way right. where it's like that so, generosity. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, <laughs> we, uh, we do like morning walks, um, a few days a week with me and my, me and my son, and he's just learning English. He's a, he's a new, uh, a new kid. Uh, so I try to, uh, still practice imparting, uh, what I think is, uh, wisdom, you know, even though it was young, he's a young kid. So the other day, after I got my, after I got my coffee, we were, uh, we were walking, I was pushing him in the stroller and I said to him, you know, never, uh, never hold a door open for somebody thinking that if I do this, someone will hold a door open for me in the future. Just do it, you know, right. because, uh, when you start getting into sort of the scheming things, you know, or well, not even scheming, but sort of like, I'm going to, I'm going to trick my karma in a way, you know, if, Hey, if I'm, if I'm good to, you know, this amount of people, they're going to, you know, come back in the future. Um, right. and, uh, so I'm still, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, to live that way and, and still navigate, you know, this entertainment business and, and all that in the same way. Yeah. Well, I, I think if you're, if you're operating at a high level of your potential, you, you can't go wrong. Uh, I, I know that in my life, the times that I've been just fulfilling the, the, my objectives, the things I want to do, all that other stuff seems to, you look around and you go, oh, oh, this is, this is going well now. This is, this is good. I, I, I'm to keep doing this. I, I then just go, oh, I'm going to take a nap, but that's my own character flaw. But, but I, I think so. I think you, you'll, you'll be fine. You're fine. Lou. You're doing great. great. You're doing great. And, uh, uh, so I'm a new father. You're, you're a father. You've been a father for like almost 11, 11 years, 11 years, as far as I know, as far as, as far as you know. And, um, how's, how's that been just as a, as, as another transition, you know, it's another, That's another career a, move. So, yeah, it's been a big career move. It, it, what was one of the reasons I started back doing showbiz again, because as I was programming, he was young, he was three or four. And I was coming home, bombed every night, sleeping all weekend, depressed and missing him. And uh, that I want to be present for this guy and, and do that in part, whatever wisdom or whatever I have, ruin his mind with my crazy thoughts. But at least I want to be there for that. So that's been great. I never wanted to have kids. I never wanted to get married. I'm married. I have a kid. It's the best. And uh I wish I'd started earlier because, you know, by the time he gets out of high school, I'll be senile, I think. So I'll miss it again. Hey, Dad, but, hey, Dad can I borrow it's, the car? It's like, you don't have to ask him. He has no idea where the car is. Exactly. Just, just, just take it. Just like, yeah, I just want the soup now. <laughs> so, uh, but it's great. I love it. And he's, we're very lucky. He's a great, great, great kid. Yeah. And, the the one drawback is that he uh, asks, he's a contrarian like his dad. So I'm going to go, you know what? Harass everyone else, but just listen to me. 
Mm-hmm. You know, just quit, quit, quit asking me questions. Just do as I say. You know, that's, it's a tough thing. But and, and what's it? What's it? Um, what's it like? You know, being a sort of an older father. You know, obviously, if you have a kid, there's going to be a difference in the generation. But uh, like, I'm I'm 38, but my my oldest brother is 50. He's going to be 51. And I always right. find I always find myself. I, I identify more with that generation, the generation X, I guess, uh, uh, more than anybody, um, more than any other generation. And it's sort of like stuff happening today, whether it's in you know politics or entertainment. I'm like, what? Like, what's wrong with you kids, man? I don't get it. Well, it's it's interesting because him and all of his friends are way into '80s stuff. They love the '80s. They love '80s music. His and I. I want him to not like stuff I like, but he loves Rush. He loves the Rush, Rush, the Rush band. He loves the Rush. That's uh-huh. his favorite band. And uh, like, okay, cool, man. Okay, but you know, there's, you know, there's Twenty One Pilots or whoever is else is out there. And like, yeah, they're good, but I really like Rush. So, but his friends, they love, they love eighties movies. They love eighties TV shows. So, okay, good, fine. Are they walking around with, they're doing like the denim jackets with uh, patches on <laughs> they them? Get the, they, get, they, they cut the sweatshirt and they wear the sweatshirt. And, you know, no. Yeah. Uh, well, no, they're, fortunately, no. Yeah. But, uh, what, what, what has made it, uh, from, you know, what from the 80s has made it all the way up to 2020 that like young kids are liking? Ghostbusters. Okay. Uh, all, all the music, mm-hmm. the, you know, the bands, either either the alternative bands, like, the replacements or whatever, or Motley Crue or whatever, all that music. It's, uh, they, they love it. Yeah. I, or or the, this self-selecting sample that I'm around does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not, not, not so much the, uh, crack ep- epidemic and, uh, the, the, <laughs> no. the, the AIDS. No. It's like, dad, no. dad, you go, <laughs> we got to talk about <laughs> it. That, that confusion about AIDS has seemed awesome. Tell me about it. Dad, when they were calling it a gay cancer, what was that about? Like, can you, it's like, oh, <laughs> well, it's God. funny because I had, uh, I had, I had written a fan letter to Michael Malice uh, also. And we had, I ended up having lunch with him a couple of years ago. And his first question, he's like, so what was the eighties like? Like, I, I don't know. I was just living, just trying to work as an actor. There's, I don't, there's nothing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Just, it's how it was. Yeah, I'm, I I was uh, fortunate. I got to uh, go on a, a little mini tour with uh, with right. Michael Malice and, right. and and be on his uh, and and be on his show. Um, yeah. yeah, he's doing really really great work. And I what I what I've been enjoying, I think most about him is sort of his pushing of I guess what they call the white pill. Uh, oh, yeah. What's I don't know the white pill. So so as, as far as I know, so so you have the uh, the red pill, which I think we a lot of people have heard about, you know, people have been red pilled, which I guess is sort of, uh, they see the, uh, the truth of, you know, the, the powers that be the cathedral, I guess, when they can sort of see through it. Uh, the black pill is, uh, basically people who've taken the black pill, they're like, ah, there's no hope. We're going to lose. It's done. It's over with. Um, and the white pill is no, 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 there's hope we're going to win. Or if we're not going to win, uh, the fight is worth fighting and, you know, keep it up and, and, and all that. So I, I like, I like the, I like positivity, but yes. I like positivity when it's actually, you know, grounded in fact. Um, yeah. By someone who's, who's brilliant like yeah. him. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. I, uh, I think I consider myself black pilled now. So, uh, uh, but I, I appreciate that there is white pilling going on. So yeah. I'm, Go, go, go for him. So he, he hold a secret hope that he's right. Yeah, I have because no- I think he is. Because I think you know we we always every generation thinks that they've had it the worst. It, it's the worst right now, and that it was better in the past. And that's never true. Yeah, if you look at history, it's just never true. So I had, I had a a fan write to me and, and ask if I was hopeful for the for the future, um, and. I actually, it, it was one of those things where I didn't take it lightly that he had asked me that. It was, I was like, wow, am I hopeful for the future? And ultimately what I said was, you know, if, if you don't have hope, you need to create your own hope. Um, there's, and it's like, I have no choice in the matter. I, I, I have a little one. I, I need right. to, 
you know, I can't, uh, as comfortable as my couch is, I, uh, you know, can't just, uh, spend my days there saying, oh man, all is lost. Yeah. I mean, especially with the kid, he can't just give up and have them. Oh, look at that. There they're they're going in the back. They're going in the I see background. you. I see you back there. <laughs> um, yeah, especially with a kid, you have to keep, keep moving because they can't see it yeah. too often lay in bed with the covers pulled over your head. So uh, your son, he's 11. Uh, we've talked in the past, kind of like gone back and forth about, you know, what education is like now. Because um, I, well, I'm, I'm in New York. We're actually, we're looking to leave New York. We're looking to, to leave, but um, we're looking to leave. We're going to go to Jersey, which I think might be a little better. And so in the town that we're looking at is uh, okay. a little better than where we are in New York. And one, one of the concerns that I have about just sort of education in general of, of, of my son is on the one hand, he's uh, at the moment, blonde hair and blue eyed. Right. So what I am, what I fear is that he's going to get into an educational system that describes him as an oppressor, right. someone with, you know, with a white privilege and, and uh, a, a, you know, an original sin that he could never you know, get over. That, that he could never wash, uh, be washed clean of. Then on the a, other, a racist, a racist perception of him. Yeah, because of, yeah, exactly. And then on the other hand, his name is Andreas Luis Perez, right? So then he has this other element of where, well, no, well, you're a victim and you're oppressed. <laughs> right. So it's gonna these two, you know, identity markers are gonna be sort of, uh, you know, going at each other. And more than anything, I just. I don't want him to have to deal with any of that shit. Yeah. Um, yeah. It seems like that's the way it's going. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I grew up, you know, my mother was a, a freedom writer um, and was put in jail in Mississippi for writing, sitting at a counter with black people. And, uh, and you know, yeah. did it like was there, was there. And I was raised with the idea that, that race didn't matter and, and you treat people equally and everybody gets a, the same shot, should get the same shot at stuff and, and you don't judge them based on their, their skin color. And that's all changing now. And uh, it's very, and not just skin color, but your, your gender, your age. Um, and it's, it's, I'm trying to navigate that with my son. And, and the thing I finally came upon was that the most important minority is the individual and that you don't try not to belong to a group that other people put you in, put yourself in your own group if you want, but remember that we're the, this country was actually formed, I think to protect the individual, which is that, that, that one person. That's what's important. And he's getting that. And that there's, but there's stuff at his school now that is very disturbing. There's this anti-racist stuff that's going on that I, I don't, I don't understand. And maybe cause I'm too old and too white or whatever, but uh, it seems, it seems wrong and counterintuitive. And I liken it to what happened right after nine 11 with the Patriot act that we, in, implemented all these things as a reaction to this thing that happened without really thinking about it. And so I, I think there might be an argument about how minorities are treated by the cops. Maybe not. There's, there's, there's certainly a discussion about that, but be that as it may, putting in policies or teaching stuff in schools about that, I think maybe we should just take a little time and, and let the dust settle before we start teaching our kids how to be anti-racist, which I don't even understand the concept of that. Yeah. On the, on a surface level, the name sounds, Oh, Oh, that, that, that sounds, that sounds good, but you know, definitely tread lightly and be wary of really, uh, of really nice, uh, nice titles. Yeah. I'm in, I'm in the good person party Yeah, and, uh, we're, it's all good people. I was just about to say that. Yeah. Yeah. At what point are, you know, the Republicans or Democrats just going to change the name, the good guys. That's it. <laughs> exactly. That's it. exactly. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and it's, 
a lot of the a lot of the stuff that I've been um, pointing out or uh, making fun of, I guess. I guess I guess that's how I push back against stuff that yeah. doesn't doesn't make sense. I uh, I, I mock it. Um, it's uh, yeah. You, I wonder, you know, sort of where the chips are going are, are going to fall because I, I even I see friends of mine who are kind of putting stuff out there where I'm like, what, when did you guys start with this stuff? Like, when did you guys start? You know, like you guys had years of, uh, you guys had so many opportunities over the years to help out, you know, say voices of color, if you will, but, right. but you just started now. What, what's that about? What's go, what's going on here? Right. And, and w- what even can you do? Yeah. Uh, I, I'm, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, my brain just locks up when I think of this stuff. It's a, uh, I call it a Gilligan moment. Um, you know the, remember the show Gilligan's Island? Yeah. Okay. So the skipper and the professor would argue and the Gillig- and Gilligan would sit in the middle of them and go, you're right, skipper. You're right, professor. You're right, skipper. You're right, professor. And then the skipper would hit him on the head with his hat. And that's how I feel about this race stuff. It's like, well, yeah, but, uh, but and so I just lock, I lock up. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I feel like um, shut down. So, so much of discussions are, uh, are now about, you know, how do we describe this individual, you know, all these different identity markers rather than what is it that this individual is actually saying, saying or, or doing. Um, and one, yeah, one, well, it, yeah. It's what I was saying is you, instead of describing the individual, you, you describe them with the, you put them in a group, which is seems completely antithetical to being an American. Mm-hmm. don't don't put a don't don't automatically you don't put someone in a group they you you put yourself in a group uh and I, anyway i interrupted you sorry no no it's uh, uh that's okay probably uh better to be interrupted um because <laughs> my, my mind is still like you know sort of swirling uh, with the stuff but i one of the things that that i started seeing i guess a couple of years ago i, I went to nyu and uh, i'm on the alumni uh mailing list and at some point, they just started sending around like uh, stuff about Latinx alumni, and I was like, "What the fuck is Latinx? What 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 is what is this about?" And apparently, I'm not alone because like something like 98 percent of self-described Hispanics or Latinos they don't identify with this Latinx shit. Um, right. But yet, that's still being pushed. It's still being pushed uh, upon uh, uh, upon people. Jeremy McClellan had a really funny joke on Twitter where he said uh, Donald Trump got the Latino vote and uh, Joe Biden got the Latinx vote. That's great. Yeah. Basically how it, uh, yeah. That's that's really funny. I I pulled myself off of Twitter uh, about a month ago. Just, I don't, people send me links and I'll read stuff, but I I don't check. I took it off my phone. I don't check it anymore. It, once they, uh, they started, they did, they did something they censored someone or something. And I just went, I can't, this is pointless. This is yeah. And I, you know, and I don't really do politics or anything on there at all. Um, I was just posting the joke videos, but I don't do that anymore, but it just, uh, but Twitter's great and horrible yeah. and it will ruin your life. Yeah. And they, they really put themselves in this, in this awkward position of being arbiters of what's true and what's not true, because ultimately, like if, if you're relying on an algorithm, you're going to ding things that should otherwise have been, you know, even by your own rules should be allowed to go. But then uh, when that happens, people are going to shout conspiracy because, you know, how, how can you not? Right. And what, I, what is very strange to me. So like, for example, on Amazon, they, their books, they don't sell. I, I can still buy Mein Kampf right mm-hmm. on Amazon. And that's the source material for being a Nazi and it's available. And it should be available and you should be able to read it and go, well, this is, there's an idea here that might be okay, but then this is no good. And, and just seeing what was going on and, and hearing that stuff. And, and it's those companies that are deciding what's good to see and not good to see or true or false. I don't think that's their job. And then the libertarian in me, says well they're to their company they can do what the hell they want but so and that's when i go well they can do what they want 
I don't have to be a part of it anymore. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think a lot of times, uh, sort of the, the libertarian position, uh, I don't think a lot of people understand it, uh, necessarily where it's like, no, no, like you could, uh, yes, they're a private company. They can do what they want, but I really wish that they wouldn't do yeah, what they're doing. I can still have an, I can have an opinion about right. how they do business. Yeah, that's fine. And it's funny because I have people on the left going, well, the, you know, it's a private company. They can do what they want. And we go, oh, cool. You're a libertarian now. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, yeah. well, well, it's, it's funny how, how those, um, you know, those divisions break down when it's uh, a pet project of them, you know, or, or something that they're into. So even the right, it's like, you know, yeah. coming after Twitter, it's like, well, okay, well, so what the right, so what you're saying is bake the cake. Is that, is that what you guys are saying? Um, yeah. I mean, par- parlor is no better. You know, parlor is the same preaching. I see you back there. He sees you. you oh, there you go. I see, he sees you. This is, this is a very wide lens, Michelle. <laughs> then I'll just walk by. Yeah, yeah you can just walk Sorry. by. Okay. <laughs> it's fine. Um, uh, yeah, there. Yes, em- embrace it. Uh, yeah, there should just be a, a social media app called Preaching to the Choir. That's mm-hmm. what we want. Yeah. Um, would you be able to develop that with HTML or? No, no, there's too much. I don't, I, tr- I during the, the lockdown, I, I thought, you know what? I'll, I'll go back and I'll, I'll reteach myself to program. And it's so different now. I just, and I also get like, uh, it's some 22 year old who knows all of this. And so I I gave up on that. Yeah. No fun. uh, Before we go, why don't we talk a little bit about um, some kind of joke and tell us about, well, tell us more about that. Uh, Okay. So my friend, Richard Horvitz, who, I think he's best known. He was in summer school. He was the geek in summer school, but he's has an amazing animation career. He's the voice of Invader Zim and a bunch of just great stuff. Um, a couple of years ago, we I had this great this idea. I said, let's take classic jokes and make narrative short films about them. So you know, the priest, a rabbi, and an atheist walk into the bar, and the and it comes from that joke of priest, rabbi, and atheist walk into a bar and the bartender says, what is this? Some kind of joke. And we did a couple of those and, and they're fine. And, and, but they're, it's a pain in the butt to shoot stuff as you know, oh, yeah. and, uh, and diminishing returns for us. So when the pandemic hit, I, I, people were doing all the zoom stuff. And I had this idea of just for one time, this one joke. Uh, and so we did it and enjoyed it. And so every day now, every weekday, we'll take a joke and we've cast ourselves as brothers, Fredo and Michael from The Godfather. Mm-hmm. And uh, we work jokes out so that it's, we just do these jokes and we don't tell the joke, but we sort of inhabit them and try to make them a narrative. And we've done 155 episodes now because, you know, it was, it was 14 days to flatten the curve. So I thought it would be two weeks. So eight months later, we, we're still doing them. And it's a fun thing and silly. And we've got hundred of subscribers on YouTube <laughs> and uh, over thousand of views. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Um, so the money's rolling in. Oh, are you guys uh, uh, able to monetize yet? No. 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 Yeah, something like 4,000 hours or something like that. Is that it? Yeah. I, yeah, I, yeah, they're so short. They're they're. Usually, uh, the, the longest one has been two, two and a half minutes, but we have like friends like Craig Bierko and Sam, Sam Levine do a couple episodes and Stuart Fratkin, who I did some movies with and TV shows with. He, it's just a fun thing that we do every day. And it's, uh, I'm, I'm learning, I've been trying to embrace this idea of doing things for the sake of doing them mm-hmm. without any expecting any reward or gain or any outcome. And this has been a great lesson in that for both of us, Rick, we just do it and we're any, we make each other laugh and it's funny and fun for us and that's it. And it's done. So it's nice. So, but I think it's worth watching and it takes a minute and a half to watch. Right. And And we'll do some weird, and then we'll do some weird conceptual stuff with edits and I'll, I'll edit some stuff in and, and uh, throw in some weird stuff occasionally. 
So, uh, well, where, where are you guys getting uh, getting the jokes? Are they from sort of uh, old joke books? We still we'd look on the internet. Like there are all these joke sites, and we'll adapt them. Sometimes we'll write them up, and sometimes we'll we just have a, a list of them. Go, well, let's try. What if we? I said this, and you said this, and we do them. It's you know, it's it's just two old dudes having fun. No, that's great. I've um, yeah. uh, I've had a. Uh, Greg, uh, who, who you've met, has uh, been a, a longtime friend. We've been friends for you know close to like twenty years, and uh, whenever we're together, uh, there's you know there's going to be laughs, there's going to be jokes, and all that. The one thing that that I that I wish though, I wish that that we had gotten to a point where where we could just kind of be in the moment without talking about oh, what if we did this project, or what if we did this, or talk, you know, where we even to this day we're still both sort of still reaching for something sure. bigger than we than, than we than, than we have so we're still reaching for for more success or right. um or success you know just to, to begin with and it's like man uh it would be great if we if we could just sort of be uh at some point yeah i think that's the eternal goal and question and struggle but you always want to be striving for more but but the but being able to appreciate what you have in the moment and go, well, I'm going for that, but right now I've got food, I've got my family, I've got my home aces. Yeah. That's tough. It's yeah. tough, especially, you know, in, in showbiz, cause there's all, there's this carrot and, and there's this carrot and you're dangling and you're chasing this carrot your whole life. You know, we're talking about, we're talking about moving and uh, it's, it's terrifying to me because I've been, in this chasing the carrot business for since 1981 to 1980 really. And uh, what will I do? And and I think, well, I'm doing all my auditions from home now. So I can do that. I could do that in Texas. I could do that. God forbid in New Jersey, (laughs) you know, anywhere. Um, So we'll, we'll see what happens. And she's an editor. She's got her thing there. Yeah. I see that rig. Wow. Yeah. They draw, she's supposed to edit on this new show and they keep pushing it back. She was supposed to start in October and, but we've got, they sent this so we can pawn this uh, <laughs> if it comes to worse. And I have, I'm on hold for two jobs and they keep pushing the schedule back and it just like, can you just take, yeah. I think, I think the, uh, just one example of, I think the closest Greg and I have been to a, a moment of, of Zen, uh, was at my, uh, my bachelor party. We went to, we went to Miami. And we rented one of those sort of poolside, not a bungalow, but a, what do they call it? Cabana? A cabana. Yeah. yeah. So it was with a boy, with a boy <laughs> named Quan. <laughs> so there were, so there's like nine guys and it's one of those, um, it was one of those things where you had to spend a certain amount of money, like right. thousands of dollars. Like you were right. already paid thousands of dollars and the waitress would keep coming by like, yeah, you, you have another thousand dollars to spend. So it was just drinking and drinking and drinking, and I was downing, um, I was downing, I guess, uh, mojitos or margaritas, and feeling right. fine. I was feeling fine, and then You're drinking responsibly. Yeah, yeah, so responsibly, and then cut to, I guess, at some point it's nighttime. I'm on the beach, face forward in the sand, oh. barfing my brains out. As and, you do, yeah, and then apparently uh, there were a couple of uh, women on the beach. One of them was speaking French to me. She didn't speak English. She was trying to speak French to see if I was okay. And I was speaking back to her in broken Spanish. <laughs> and who was there to protect me and to save me, but was but Greg. So Greg took his drunk, uh, about to be married friend back to the hotel room and actually stayed there and sort of kept watch. Right. And he, 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 you know, he had, he had, uh, pushed me over onto my stomach. So if anything, you know, I wouldn't, he wouldn't John Bonham. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And apparently, um, he, we found out later, yeah, this, this girl was asking about Greg. She was wondering where he, where he was. And he's like, what? Are you kidding me? <laughs> so, so going back to what I said earlier, about uh about you know me not being friends not trying to get each other laid i was definitely a cock block my drunk uh soon to be married ass was a cock block <laughs> but for that moment we weren't talking about any projects we weren't talking about showbiz or anything like that so 
might have yeah. to get back to that. Might have to get back to that place at some point. Yeah, it's tough. It's yeah. tough. The, there's one other thing that I, I want to pimp, which is I did a, uh, I corresponded with a Nigerian scammer for initially a year. And then a couple of years later, the same guy I corresponded with for another six months ended up getting a check from him for $3.50. And I turned it into a, a two person show that we toured around the world. I shot it, I had it shot several times and it never came out well. And a couple of years ago, we shot it. It's almost done. I'm about to release it. Oh, dude, that's awesome. Man. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty funny show. The, 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 it, it, it could look better, but it, people have been like, we want to see a video of this. We want to see a video. So that, that'll be, a, I'm hoping, by Christmas. Oh, that's awesome. Um, it's a Nigerian spam scam scam. <laughs> um, well, well, hopefully this will be out by Christmas. Oh, there we go. Just, just for laughs festival. Nice. Nice. Well, uh, Dean, thank you so much uh, for your time. Um, I really appreciate it. Um, you know, like I, like I said before, uh, yeah, receiving that email from you really blew me away. And uh, I really appreciate your, uh, uh, your friendship over, you know, this year of us uh, knowing each other. And, yeah. um, you know, I look forward to, you know, working with you in some capacity, uh, especially once all this craziness is, is over. Yes. With. So. Exactly. Well, it's oh, great. I'm just happy to know you and uh, thanks for having me on your show.